Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. Let's welcome to Brand Insider, Kath Swallow, who's the global brand VP for Rexano at Unilever, the group that oversees brands like Degree Deodorant, which is what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, because it turns out we didn't just go pantless during the pandemic. Uh, Kath will share with us some research about that in a second and how the Degree brand has leveraged uh, our return to movement outdoors. The Move Again campaign has used a number of novel partnerships, including <clears throat> excuse me, including with drag star Alyssa Edwards. But the campaign uh, has a number of interesting connections that move beyond traditional advertising that I want to talk about today, as well as its uh, move towards more purposeful branding. Uh, Kath joins us today from, uh, from Wales, I believe. Yes, that's right. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I know that a lot of this campaign was grounded in some solid research, uh, which is something Unilever, of course, is famous for, um, uh, about the ways in which uh, consumers were responding to the pandemic and the way we're emerging from it. So let me give you a chance just to sort of review the highlights of that research and what you learned from it. Yes, of course. I mean, what <clears throat> I mean, the research was quite robust, I would start with. It was sort of covering about 2,000 people. So, and and what we saw with it was in general, people were obviously were stopping and doing less of what they loved. But specifically when it comes to being active, the numbers were quite startling. So over half, well actually 59% of Americans were less active. When you actually sort of dig deeper, they were actually, and I'm sure you can imagine, there's significant numbers watching TV, sitting down, but they were less active. And actually they lost a bit of motivation to be active. Then when you look at the category specifically from a deodorant's point of view, seven in 10 admitted to not using the product. Why? Because they weren't seeing people and they weren't moving. And then what was interesting, you see a really direct change in behavior when the country starts opening up. So over half of Americans, 57%, were planning to exercise more and therefore, again, a direct link to the category. So I think that was quite interesting to see how many people stopped moving and what they started doing, which was a lot of sedentary behavior, and then how that connected to the category of deodorant. But on a positive note, how many people now are rearing to go? And it's quite interesting when you look at the stats of what people want to do now the pandemic, now things are opening up. Being more active was the top one in parallel at the same number, 80%, with seeing their friends and family. So really, people are desperate to get active. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I have a question about that that high percentage of people who are using less deodorant, whether they were married or not. I mean, <laughs> that sounds, I'm not sure that I would get away with that. Um, before we get into how that research translated into a brand strategy and a campaign, let's talk traditionally about the degree brand and its its target, its consumer profile, who you usually are aiming at, and traditionally, what media channels have you tended to use to reach them? Yeah. So the brand is so a big brand. It's actually the world's number one brand. 
and the number one brand in the US by volume. So it's huge. Mm. So in terms of that, we do have a broad reaching consumer base. And, you know, so that's a kind of given in terms of the size of the brand. But in terms of who we look for, who we target, age is obviously one one driver, but I like to sort of go broader than that attitudinally. But in terms of age, we really try and sort of hone in on 20 to 35 year olds. Obviously, that's quite broad, but that tends to be the sort of space we, we creatively target. A strong reach in both genders. So, you know, huge brand for men and equally a big brand for women. And we do start, you know, we do look for people with more active lifestyles. Um, Media-wise, and that's an interesting question, because historically, the brand in the US has, has heavily leaned into mainstream media. So TV, um, well, predominantly TV and digital, I would say, with, with a little push on PR. And what we're trying to do with the brand now and I really, really want to push there is to be much more unmissable. And to be more unmissable, I think you do really need to challenge yourselves on media channels. Because actually, you know, it's very, you, know, you can look at the statistics, how many people are watching TV, how many people are fast forwarding on Netflix or whatnot, on anything. Advertising is not as, as well consumed anymore on, on mainstream channels. So to look for alternative channels, which is what we started to do, you know, leverage in partnerships, looking to use out of home, looking to really see PR as a real vehicle for driving saliency are all things now we're starting to do. Uh, yeah, and I want to get into that plan in a second. And I want to focus on the theme itself because yours is uh, one among a number of brands that I've spoken to over the last month or two uh, who are coming up with sort of these post-pandemic campaign strategies. And the theme of move again, follows a pattern that I've been seeing a lot of, and I'm always curious to get into the thinking and the discussions that went into it. It's a light allusion to what we went through without necessarily punctuating it or underscoring it. It seems as if there's a very deliberate light touch to the experience we've gone through, alluding to it without necessarily hitting it too sharply. And I'm curious from a, from strategists and messaging uh, perspective, What's the thinking? You know, what were the discussions and the thinking about how you wanted to hit the right theme that acknowledged what we've been through and yet didn't necessarily overdo it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a similar conversation we had because we pivoted to have a campaign during the pandemic also, which was along the lines of move more at home. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really trying to encourage people to keep moving, to keep active, to keep healthy, despite the fact that they weren't able to go out. Similarly, with this campaign, at the heart of it was, I don't think people need to feel more depressed. You know, the sort of conversation was, how do we have an optimistic take on this? Mm-hmm. Yes, we've all been living really tough times and plenty of people still are. But really, we want to acknowledge the fact that, yes, by virtue of this campaign, you weren't moving before, you weren't out before. But really focusing on the optimistic side, really focusing on life opening up. Because that seems to be, you know, the consumer sentiment and what we really wanted to kind of, you know, target, I suppose. Uh, so let's talk about some of the novel channels that you used. Uh, part of them, one of the most visible is the uh, partnership with Alyssa Edwards, who I'm sure um, uh, my audience, like me, was not aware of Alyssa Edwards and does not know who, who he is. But could you tell us a little bit about Alyssa Edwards, but also um, what the relationship of this partnership is to your target, what your strategic aims are here? Yeah. 
I think so starting from kind of partnerships in general and and we have many and, and we'll continue to have many we we kind of have quite a relatively simple I suppose vetting process the first one is I think we need a values alignment right so the first one is from our brand point of view is someone that incorporates movement into their daily lives Mm-hmm. And the second one is someone that's an inspirational figure around movement. So those two are kind of the really sort of core kind of structure we put in place in order to then make a decision. So when we look at someone like Elisa, you know, it's sort of, you know, all of the boxes become ticked. So whether she's prepping for a drag show or actually coaching young people at her own dance studio. Mm-hmm. So she actually has her own dance studio. She lives and breathes movement. She's kind of a a master of movement. So both teaching her craft to others, as well as kind of embracing it herself. So so with that in mind, we really decided that she was a real testament to someone that celebrates movement and had that positive sort of feel about it and really would drive that positive message that, that we felt we needed. So it's less about targeting a particular audience. Yeah. Uh, that 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 she has and more about a set of principles that she represents exactly it's a set of principles we put the same we put exactly the same filter on some of our sports partnerships and mm-hmm. um, we work with why we work and why we don't work with people mm-hmm. um it, it, it's the same it's exactly the same vetting process uh and then what are this what are the sets of executions with with what? this partnership what what the, what what form does it take in terms of you know how you read what what the formats are and how you're actually reaching those consumers using this partnership? Yes, yeah, so I mean the the actual media. So the way we planned the media in general was we we kicked it off with a campaign that was quite visible out of home in you know in Times Square, a real push to the some you know talkable media. And at the same time, Elisa Edwards coming out talking about the product. We got her to use the product. She then kind of did interviews um, and we leveraged that across all of our own channels. And actually, to be honest, it snowballed a little more than we expected in terms of the excitement around Elisa Edwards partnering with Degree. And I think we were seeing with journalists, they were seeing this direct connection and thinking, wow, I would never have thought of that before. But actually, if you listen to what she said, it was such a true, authentic fit. So a lot of the channel, I'd say, was driven through PR, as well as the sort of bought media in much more, much more unexpected ways. So, you know, high profile out of home and so on. That, that raises an interesting uh, issue of, of look of an almost... Um a creative disconnect in the sense that the partnership may not seem natural at first blush, but it sort of forces you to think about it. And yeah. that, that in turn forces you to think about the brand a little bit more, what the associations are. It makes you stop and think. I agree. And I think, but also it points to, you see many partnerships where there's kind of an inauthenticity in the partnership itself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what comes all the way back to the prior conversation on having that right filter in a way making sure there's a shared set of values with what we're actually going after now another component i don't know if it's of this campaign uh but it's a um a part of the degree uh branding effort the pit mobile effort 
And that, and that involves a, a sort of a localized street effort. And again, going beyond sort of that traditional advertising thing that you'd associate with, uh, with a massive CPG brand like Degree. Tell us a little bit about that and what role that plays in relationship to the rest of the mix. And to be honest, so again, this all came from the premise of being unmissable. Mm-hmm. So quite connected in a way with the out of home because the pit mobile was also started from being around where the out of home was and then obviously went around different stops. But the intention was, again, to remind everyone to move again and get excited about the product. We used it mainly to seed sampling. So whilst we were saying move again or, you know, the message, the thing you do before moving or the thing you do before doing things is put on degree. So then this was our way of being an unmissable, basically an unmissable sampling activity. And what we used it for was getting samples into people's hands, sending out QR codes where they could scan for vouchers, and also capturing consumer engagement in terms of their feelings, their thoughts, almost to bring an insight that we might well do something with in a subsequent, in a subsequent sort of activity. And I'd say that the biggest sort of brief we gave when we were trying to expand this unmissable content was stop people in their tracks, you know, really allow people to see this brand, to reappraise what they think of this brand, and to actually get engaged with the message we have. So let me now let me move us over into another uh, partnership, which again seems when we go from a uh, a, a, a drag sports star into uh, video gaming, that seems like an enormous gulf. But you also have a partnership with the NBA 2K game uh, and a sponsorship there. Is that is that a particular audience or media that you were trying to leverage, and and how does that relate to the rest of the mix too? Yeah. So. I would say sort of more broadly, Degree has an ongoing partnership with the NBA and basketball. So we've done quite a lot with it. We've had partnerships within it for a long time. We actually kicked off a little bit more of our unmissable approach to NBA with March Madness, which was, and it's taken a step back. This to me is a channel in a way. This is, it's a partnership, but it's a channel, again, to get our message across to the masses, but with a core target of the sort of 20 to 35 In March Madness, we started this kind of unmissable approach where we hosted the first ever virtual dance camp. So we got fans, we gave fans a chance to be featured live on air during the final four games. It was actually the first time a brand has ever featured user-generated content in the final four. And again, this was about in the break times, in all of this, like getting people to move. So the theme was still the same, driving our purpose was still the same. So, of course, when it came to NBA 2K, the opportunity was there. And again, coming back to the brand ethos, people are quite stagnant. They're quite sedentary when they're gaming. So, again, it was an opportunity to provoke a reappraisal of behavior. And so with the partnership, we were there at key moments to get people moving, to ask them to move, trivia questions, to get them to to prompt the reappraisal of, you know, get up, move. And of course, then through that partnership, we were always able to use almost the media within the games to advertise our billboards. So it was sort of a channel, but also a channel where the consumer isn't moving that much. So a channel where we can actually affect positive change. How do you, given these various very different channels and non-traditional channels, ultimately, how are you measuring impact? 
for all of these? Do, you, do your KPIs change at all? Do the do the metric? I mean, I know Unilever is as famous for its measurement uh, disciplines as it is for its research, and I don't know of any CPG of, at, at Unilever's scale that isn't paying very close attention to its end end um, results. So I'm curious. Uh, does this outreach into different into these different partnerships and channels, this sort of post-advertising world of promotion, how does it impact your KPIs and the ways in which you measure success? Yeah, so one of the biggest areas of focus in Unilever for brands is brand power. And that's something we measure ruthlessly now, quarter by quarter on all brands. And brand power score is made up of essentially saliency. So am I seeing the brand? meaningful is it meaningful in the category it exists so on the one hand is it doing good in the world on the other hand is it meaningful as a deodorant and differentiation is it different and all of those metrics form a brand power score and there are there is a wealth of evidence that shows the higher the brand power the more successful a brand in market Hmm. many metrics so brand power is when we are actually targeted on and measured by and so this campaign for example we will be very soon I think it'll be, because it'll be quarter two, we'll be seeing at the beginning of August, the brand power scores, and we'll learn. And a lot of what we're doing at the moment, certainly on degree, is to try and learn. We want to push things. We want to be unmissable, and we learn. Maybe some things work, maybe some things won't. But the intention is we measure it by an increase in brand power. Secondly, of course, is sales. And so the early data is actually showing in the activities we've been doing a spike in sales. Again, this is something we want to see consistently. So this is one activity. We have another quite exciting activity happening in August, and we're going to be going on this sort of unmissable path to actually prove that it basically drives brand power and it drives sales. Could you uh, let me stop because you're, you're using a term admissible that I that I would like you to define a little bit more for this audience on the other side of the pond because I'm not sure that marketers use that term very often. So could you underscore a little bit and explain what you mean by it? It's becoming quite a favorite word, both of mine and within Unilever, I have to say. It's the latest buzzword we have. But no, so we've been talking a lot within Unilever about our creativity in general. And there's a lot of great creativity. But is it creativity people really see? Is it something that strikes a chord? Is it something that pops out to them? And that's sort of how we would kind of decode unmissable. And a lot of those times is it is pushing yourselves. And oh, I unmissable. Do. I'm sorry, that's unmissable. Unmissable. Un- that might be my Welsh accent. Okay. <laughs> I'm, getting I'm getting it. That could be a new, that could be a trending term. We could hashtag that one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry, go on in the in the ways you're talking about it and thinking about it. Yeah. So so in general, I think there's driving brand power, driving sales. And, and really seeing the other part that we measure is brand attributes. So every brand in Unilever will have brand attributes that they want to own and seek to own. So from a degree point of view, wouldn't be surprising to see a lot of that is on functional attributes, that works with all day, blah, blah, blah. But also again, our purpose attribute, because as a brand, we are a brand that's purpose is to inspire the confidence in everyone to move more. So you can see, again, the activities we're doing, to me, are laddering back up to the purpose we have and to the what we would call must-win attributes that we want to own. And again, that's measurable. Mm-hmm. So quantitatively measurable. And I would see as, as sort of leading this brand, I would expect to see by the end of this year a significant shift in brand power. 
a significant increase on ownership of attributes and ideally a, a significant increase in sales. Um, now let's let's round this out by talking about that one component of brand power, which you said is purpose. Um, and talk a little bit about how you guys talk about purpose, not only the ways in which the brand represents purpose within people's lives, but maybe a broader social purpose, because that's one of the products of this pandemic is a great and, and also the social activism that we've seen running in parallel with the pandemic is um, is looking for a larger brand purpose. How do you guys talk about that and make that connection with degree? Yeah, so I mean, Unilever, this sort of Essentially, I think Alan's been quite vocal about it, Alan, our CEO, that there's almost there's no place for a brand without a purpose that wants to do good in the world. And it's I do believe it's kind of in this day and age, the expectation of consumers and the need for brands to help improve the world and, and a need for brands to be trusted. Purpose is a big unlock to that. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing there is having developing a purpose that is both the best purposes are, in my view, kind of. There is much about the positive thing you can do in the world, but there has to be a connection to what you deliver as a product. The mm-hmm. two have to marry up. So if you talk about Rexona, a degrees purpose rather, to inspire the confidence in everyone to move more. The confidence to move more, a trigger, a confidence catalyst to move is putting on a deodorant. A barrier to movement, whether it be movement in your everyday behavior, is actually also having had a deodorant let you down. So there's an intrinsic link of the product, but obviously from a societal point of view, to inspire people to move has huge benefits. Obviously, we, we don't need to sort of think about how positive movement is to well-being, to mental health, and to everything that goes with it. So it's having a purpose that truly does have that balance. And then I think when you hit that, you sort of have the sweet spot where the work kind of can keep flowing. Um, and, and then there's the potential to both do, do this good, but also to build the relevance of the category. Do you um, have a timeline involved when you come up with a theme uh, and a brand campaign like this? Do you have a timeline for what the, um, uh, what the, what the lifeline will be for, uh, for a, a campaign like Move Again? Um, do you expect to sort of get a sense of how well it resonates and then extend it from there? Or do you have a sense of how long this is going to flow? Yeah, so I'd say there's a sort of, we kind of have two streams of work going on on the brand. There's this kind of, let's call it the really big hitting projects that take a lot of time to craft. Um, from our brand point of view, our campaigns, we, we exist in 104 countries. So our campaigns are generally thought about in how can this work globally and then make sure you have the cultural nuances to make sure it's relevant locally. But those sort of big innovation projects will take potentially a year and a half, two years to craft. And then when you go live with them, you would want them to, to be consistent for quite a while. Then you've got that other theme of work, which is trying to be culturally relevant in the moment. And I'd say Move Again is an example of that. So we wanted to sort of rally around very quickly, took about two months maybe to create the campaign, deployed it fast. And to your point, we will learn and potentially go again later this year. But it's a little bit more of a kind of spike of of activity that is culturally relevant. And then how the two I would see going over continue is you've got a sort of ongoing brand campaign that will say start next year, but you'd still want these spikes because that's where I think you become truly meaningful in people's lives. 
Well, we'll come back. We'll come back and visit you next year to see how how the brand power uh, moved, <laughs> moved by all of this. Pat Swallow of uh, Global Brand VP uh, for Roxana at, uh, at Unilever. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post Brand Insider Podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at MediaPost.com. Until next week, Let's mark it carefully out there.